You may not know this, but I have three resources that might be valuable to you. One is loveandabuse.com, and that's for dealing with difficult relationships in your life. Two is healedbeing.com if you believe you are the difficult person and want to change. Three is quietbegins.com if you're ready to get rid of your anxiety. And of course, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools you need to show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. That doesn't have to be that long. Let me shorten that right now. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational purposes only. Always consult a professional before making any changes that could affect that could affect your physical or mental health. You just went through some real-time editing. <laughs> or you heard me go through some real-time editing. And uh, that's a long sentence, so I just wanted to shorten it. It doesn't need to be that long. Uh, at least uh, the attorney I talked to said it covers everything. I just don't want you to take my advice and run with it, and suddenly your life changes for the better, and then I get blamed for it. I want you <laughs> to take the blame or the responsibility for your life changing. I'm just here helping you connect with yourself, helping you learn about yourself and other people and relationships and behavior especially. Uh, I like to teach you about certain behaviors and how you might do behaviors that affect other people and they might do behaviors that affect you and then how do you handle it when you're affected negatively by either one. So there's all kinds of stuff we've talked about on this show and we'll continue to talk about on this show that has something to do with the disclaimer that I just said. So I hope that it makes sense to you and I'm glad that you are here. Let's get down to business. Today I'm going to talk about um, this email that came in. Let me bring it up here. Um, again, all this real-time stuff. All right, this person wrote, I'll get straight into it. I've always been a relationship person. I've had four relationships since I was 13 with little to no breaks in between. I'm 21 now. My current boyfriend is the most supportive, loving, compassionate human being in the room. I'm improving my communication skills, but I still find myself getting upset over what seems like absolutely nothing. I know it isn't logical, and I always feel so guilty the next day. I'd get upset over him being on the phone a lot or going out without asking me to come with him, him liking provocative pictures on social media or making female friends uh, or going on his phone and ignoring my text. I have a hard time voicing it because... I don't want to sound crazy, so I just stay quiet until I can't handle it anymore. When I do voice it, 
It's almost always a productive conversation, and he listens to and validates my feelings. I just have an extremely hard time deciphering whether my concerns are something that are just triggers from my past and something I should deal with on my own, or whether they are boundaries being crossed. My big problem with him is this. He's very extroverted. I find myself feeling anxious when he does things without me, and I feel very jealous and envious of the amount of text messages he gets in a day. I feel like a loser for being such a loner, and I wish I was more like him. Seeing as I also struggle with social anxiety or some social anxiety, the type where everyone thinks I hate them since I am a low-energy person, this has been extra difficult. I just want to be seen as approachable and kind like he is. But that's just not who I am. I know I'm introverted, but I'm also socially anxious, so sometimes I wonder if that went away, I'd be extroverted. I know I need to work on just being my own person, but my ego hates that he's so popular and I'm not. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. What you do is amazing, and in the few months I've been listening to your podcast, I've already grown and learned so much, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for sharing that, and there is so much to talk about in your message, but let me get one thing right off the bat. First of all, you said you're 21. Just because you've had uh, four relationships, please know that you haven't had enough relationships. That doesn't mean I want you to have more. It just means between the ages of 13 and 21, life is an entirely different experience than the rest of your life. A 13-year-old person who has a relationship, their relationship is based on other things like hormones and crushes and learning about yourself and learning about other people and experimenting and as you continue to age from you know any teenage years on your relationships shift and change and what you have in that period of time in those few years of your youth uh, is a bunch of wild cards you are dealing with wild cards yourself and the other person so when you're in that time of your youth and you're dating Other people are also experiencing life in an entirely new way. They're discovering themselves. They're discovering other people. They're learning about limits. They're learning about boundaries. They're learning about values. There's so much you're learning. You're shifting from childhood into teenage slash adult years. And that shift, a lot happens. There's a lot going on in your life. And you're still trying to get through school. And you're just trying to figure things out. So... I would not base your entire future of this relationship or future relationships if, you know, this relationship doesn't work out, but I would not base any future relationships on the relationships you've already had during this phase of your life because what happens next is going to be so different than what has already happened. I mean, when I was 18 or 19... It was one of my first relationships, my first relationship that lasted like a year and a half. When she wanted to break up with me, I cried like a baby. (laughs) I was crying in front of her and I was just a slobbering mess. She wanted to break up with me and she, I forget the whole scenario, but I just remember crying. I mean, 
I was crying in front of my girlfriend and I never did that before. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I felt like a little child. I felt like my mommy left me and that really hit my emotional strings and um, made me feel like I was worthless. I was unlovable and um, I wouldn't be happy anymore. And so I just felt my world crashing around me. Uh, that happens in adulthood too, depending on the relationship and how close you were and how sudden and unexpected it was. But when you're a kid, it affects you so much that you just think you're never, ever going to recover. Again, that happens as an adult too. But when you're a kid, it's so brand new and it's usually the first time that it's uh, so devastating that it leaves a mark, you know, an emotional mark. But the reason I tell you that is because I'm different now. I became different in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s. I swear every decade that goes by, we experience life differently. We look at it differently. I always look at my teens as childhood. You know, from zero to 19, I was a child. Most men are. (laughs) And then 20 to 29... I'm still a child, but now I'm making adult decisions. This is the experimentation point. Like zero to 19 is like all about boundaries. I'm testing limits. I'm experimenting too, but I'm, I'm just looking to see how far I can push things and how far I can go. And I also think I'm invincible. So zero to 19, a lot of people are like that, especially guys, not all guys, but then you have 20 to 29, And here I am experimenting uh, as well, um, but also growing up a little bit. But I'm still a child. There's that childlike mentality. Again, I'm going to pick on the guys here, but a lot of guys have this. In their 20s, hey, we're still kids. We're still playing. We still have toys. Again, not all men, but I'm just picking on some men today. Now you hit 30 and you are finally starting to grow up to the point where you're really starting to move into adulthood. Again, just talking about men, but between 30 and 40, you become smarter, I I hope. Some people don't. (laughs) Some people take another route, but in my opinion, this is where most men start to become smarter and make smarter decisions, make more long-term decisions, start committing. Although some men are still children or at least have some childlike mentality. And maybe that doesn't go away in some men as well. I think it's okay to have a childlike state of mind every now and then to balance yourself out. But that's not my point. So your 30s, you're starting to figure things out more and more. And then by your 40s, you're a pretty smart guy. And then by your 50s, hopefully you're wise. (laughs) So there's a level of growth in each decade that I myself have experienced. And hopefully, now that I'm in my 50s, I have become a little wise. And I don't mean I'm the wise sage that's guiding you. I mean, I have learned from all my failures not to do those things again. Everything that I failed at, I've learned how not to fail at them, or at least I've gotten a little better than before. So I think that happens, and it can happen much earlier in life if you're open to it, if you're perceptive and you get it. You, you start to take responsibility for your life. By your 50s, hopefully you're wise enough. I tell you all this because 
between 13 and 21 where you are, you've got decades left to experience relationships in a different way because you experience yourself in a different way. You experience life in a different way. How you look at a romantic partner when you're 15 is a lot different than the way you look at them when you're 25. So I just want you to keep that in mind that what you've dealt with and tried to figure out so far, you know, you're dealing with uh, jealousy and you've got this um, incompatibility with extrovert and introvert and how you feel anxious and envious and all these things that you're feeling. These are all new experiences that you just haven't learned to deal with, learned to understand. You haven't developed maybe some healthy coping mechanisms or you just haven't lived enough to get through this period and had enough experience and had more relationships in general, not just romantic, but in general, so that you can understand how to relate to other people. So I lay that foundation for you so that you understand that what you've done in your life so far is completely different than what will happen to you from this point on. And you are also uh, probably about 10 years ahead of most men in your maturity. (laughs) Again, I'm picking on men. Not all men are like this. I was. I was immature at 13 and 23 and sometimes 33 when I was that age. But I tell you this because you will have to understand that there are going to be incompatibilities like that and you're going to deal with uh, partners in your life that haven't figured things out yet. The good news is you are learning fast. So you're getting there faster than perhaps your partner. However, he has also learned a lot, it sounds like. And in fact, your current partner, your current boyfriend, sounds healthy. It sounds like he is emotionally intelligent. sounds like he's treating you well. And it sounds like that he does things that probably drive you crazy because his personality is different than yours. So now we get into the weeds. Now we get into the details of your email. And before uh, I get into those details, um, like I said, I just wanted to lay that foundation so that we're all on the same page. And you know that no matter what you've already experienced, the future is different. And I'm saying that so you don't get down on yourself. You don't get depressed. You don't think that um, your life is going to be this way from this point on. You don't think that you're always going to be jealous or anxious or possessive or whatever you think you're feeling now. I probably experienced most of what you're talking about. And I had to go through my phases as well because all of it was new. I mean, you're born and you're not taught what jealousy is necessarily. Uh, And if you are... That's great, but most people learn jealousy by getting jealous for the first time because someone that is putting their attention on us is suddenly putting their attention on someone else, and we have to assess that in ourselves and evaluate how we feel about that 
And where does our mind go? Where do our emotions go? How do we feel about that? If you have no reference on how to deal with that, it's very difficult unless you know what to do or unless you've been taught the appropriate coping skills. And all that means is when a challenge comes your way that affects you negatively, what do you do to get through it and make sure it doesn't continue to affect you negatively and maybe even release it so you don't have to deal with it anymore. So I've got um, maybe about seven years out of material out there that talks about a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about. You can always go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and type in the search field, jealous. You could type in the word um, worth and value and esteem any of those words, you know, it's easier to find things if you put a single word there. And you'll see a bunch of episodes and articles pop up that you can listen to or read so that you can start working on that in yourself. And that will be helpful to your personal foundation uh, going forward in your life. But when we come back, I'm going to address some of the details in this email and uh, we'll see where we go. Be right back after this. This episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that you can get through video, phone, even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. I remember when I was doing email coaching, and it's very similar to what BetterHelp offers. You know, that's one of the options they offer. And I heard over and over again that my client loved being able to be in the comfort of their own space and not even have to look at me. (laughs) I don't know if I should take that the wrong way, but they felt very comfortable sharing more and expressing and being open about their challenges just by writing it out and sending it off. And uh, I helped a lot of people that way. And it was a great, great way to help them through their challenges so that they read customized responses to what they sent. And this is what BetterHelp does. I mean, I don't do that anymore. So this is why I was so glad that uh, BetterHelp reached out and wanted to sponsor The Overwhelmed Brain because I enjoy promoting them. And it is something that is a great transition for the people that I've worked with or the listeners like yourself, that if you're looking for something more personal and something more one-on-one that can help you get through your challenges, then I recommend BetterHelp. And I received a lot of feedback from those who've used BetterHelp and it's all good. It's all good. So I highly recommend if you're dealing with any type of stress or anxiety or depression or like this episode, we're talking about relationships and other issues like um, all those things that can be a part of our lives. You know, a lot of us that if we haven't dealt with them yet, then it kind of makes life harder to live. It is difficult to live with these challenges and be as happy as we can be or at least have a level of satisfaction that makes us enjoy life to the fullest. So I'm telling you about BetterHelp and letting you know that the Overwhelmed Brain listeners get 10% off their first month if you go to BetterHelp, that's B-E-T-T-E-R, 
H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain, betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Go to that address and get your 10% off your first month. And uh, you'll find that it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. And you just might be surprised at what you gain from it. Betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Welcome back. I'm going to pick apart that email. I think there are a lot of things to talk about in that email, but I'm going to narrow down to just a few things that are probably most important. And I got some notes here. Let me go up here. I read the email in the last segment, but uh, I've highlighted some of the things they've said, and I'm just going to go over those and give you my responses to them. She said, I still find myself getting upset over what seems like absolutely nothing. So let me just help you out here because when you get upset over something, it is always something. It may feel like nothing, but it's always something. And I know that's Mr. Obvious and clearly it is something, but I don't want you to invalidate yourself. I don't want you to say, why am I getting upset? I don't want you to feel guilty about getting upset. One of the things that we do to ourselves sometimes is we invalidate ourselves by saying, I shouldn't feel that way. I want you to feel that way. I mean, it's not pleasant, but I want you to let it come up and feel it. Even label the emotions that you're feeling. I'm feeling angry. You may not necessarily say it to him or another person, but just say it inside your mind or say it out loud. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling jealous. Whatever you're feeling, acknowledge it. Validate it in you. These are authentic. These are real. These are a part of you even when you don't like what you're feeling. Even when you feel stupid for feeling them. Even when you think it's stupid to have those feelings. We want to take that out. We don't want to make ourselves feel bad for having genuine, authentic emotions. So I want you to feel jealous. (laughs) I want you to feel possessive. I want you to feel angry. Not really, but I want you to validate yourself. I want you to allow that to come up and out of you and try not to say, I shouldn't feel that way. There's one thing that I caught my girlfriend doing and she said, "Uh, this sounds ridiculous, but, or she would say something and she would say, I know that sounds stupid, And I finally corrected her one day and I said, you know, stop saying, I know this sounds stupid or I know that sounded stupid. And she looked at me and she realized, oh, yeah, I do say that. And that's a good point. Because it was a complete invalidation after something that she said that was absolutely valid. Even if she feels like she shouldn't think this or say this, I don't want you to invalidate yourself. I want you to confirm what you're feeling and even own it. Yeah, I'm a jealous person or I definitely feel jealousy. Own it. This is part of me. You may not like it, but I want you to own it because ownership is admittance. It's a 
form of acknowledgement so that you can put it on the table and have something to work with. That's one of my favorite expressions. You take whatever you're feeling and you put it on the table. Now you have something to work with. It's tangible. I'm going to work with this jealousy. I am jealous. I have jealous feelings. I am feeling it now and it's making me angry and it's making me sad and even making me feel stupid. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't say, I feel stupid for doing it. If you feel stupid, that's what you feel. Put that on the table too. Put it all on the table because all of these emotions and feelings inside of you are real. Even if you don't like them, even if you think uh, you shouldn't have them. So again, take out the I shouldn't part. I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel that because you are feeling it. This is what's happening inside of you. It's important to remember that you're getting upset for a reason. And in this person's case, he may have no ill will, but uh, you need to figure out why you're getting upset. In fact, I want you to ask yourself some questions. I have some questions here that when you get upset, when you're triggered by somebody else's behavior, like he's doing things that is triggering you, and if you want to figure out what's happening inside of you and where these triggers are coming from, uh, there's a whole slew of questions you can ask yourself. But I came up with these, how many, five, five or six questions that you can ask yourself so that you know what to focus on and what to put on the table so that you can work with it as opposed to just pointing the finger and blaming him and accusing him and telling him he's wrong. Uh, when we do that, when we focus on another person because they're triggering us in some way, then we're never dealing with our triggers. We're never dealing with the emotions and the feelings inside of us and the thoughts that we're having. We're just saying, I want you to stop. I don't want to deal with what's going on inside of me. I want you to stop. And when we do that, even though their behavior might be reprehensible, that might be true, and it might be a good thing to say, hey, you better stop that. If you don't deal with the triggers and understand why you're feeling upset, then it can last. And we don't want that kind of negativity to last. Even though there are reasons to be upset, if someone betrays you and you're angry, that doesn't mean I don't want you to be angry. Okay, I've dealt with the trigger. I'm no longer angry. Uh, so they betrayed me, but I'm not angry about it. No, maybe you should be angry about it. There are uh, behaviors that people do that you should be angry about. This is just a normal thing in life, and it's okay to do it. It's okay to be angry. Acting out on that anger, we have to figure out how to be the most productive and um, safe as we can be so that we don't get ourselves into any danger or trouble or anything like that. So let me go over these questions that you can ask yourself when you feel triggered, when you have this emotional responses that you're talking about. One of the questions is, what did you lose when that happened? What did you lose when that happened? And we're going to go over these again, but the next one is, what was taken away from you? It's kind of a similar question, but I'm asking in different ways to attack it at different angles. What was taken away from you? The next question after you become upset about something is, what are you in deficit of? I'm not sure if I asked that right, but the question is, what are you in deficit of? 
Next question is, what are you not getting enough of when they do X? Or in your case, what are you not getting enough of when he does that behavior? And the final question is, what do you think will happen if it doesn't stop? What do you think will happen if that behavior doesn't stop? So we'll use the example of him on the phone a lot. You said he gets texts, he's on the phone all the time. The questions would be, what do you lose when he's on the phone? And I'm just going to read through these really quick because you can pause this at any time if you're going through this in real time. But um, I'm asking you these questions because it forces you to focus on you and your thoughts and feelings and not his behavior. Again, his behavior, there might be behaviors that he does that maybe aren't within the relationship boundaries, and you'll definitely need to work with that too, and we'll get to that in a moment because you asked about boundaries, but you do want to ask yourself these questions so that you understand and know what emotions to put on the table. So what do you lose when he's on the phone? That's the first one. What is taken away from you while he's on the phone? emphasizing you because this is all about focusing on you and what's going on inside of you because him being on the phone might be taking something away from you. The next one is what are you in deficit of while he's on the phone a lot? Like you said, he's on the phone a lot. So what are you in deficit of while he's on the phone all the time? What are you not getting enough of while he's on the phone all the time or a lot, however you worded it? And the last question is, what do you think will happen to you if he doesn't stop being on the phone all the time? These are important questions. If you can really drill down into yourself and understand your loss, then you know what to work on in yourself. Like I said, there are behaviors that cross relationship boundaries, and those behaviors might need to be addressed uh, one at a time. But there are other behaviors, like you said, that maybe you overreact to and you don't know why and you don't want to. This is how you figure out what to work on. And these are all important questions that focus on you and how what he does is triggering something in you that needs attention. So that's the first part of this. Let's go over some of the components of your email. One of the things that you said is he goes out without asking you to come. So here we are in this stage of life where we don't necessarily know how our partner wants to be treated and or we have a way of doing things and being that our partner may not agree with. So this could be one or both things here. He may not realize that not asking you is a big deal. That doesn't mean he cares less. It just means this is what he was doing before you met. I'm sure it is, unless he started doing it after you met, and that kind of behavior needs to be looked at for sure. But if he was already doing this before you met, then what you're doing is entering what I might consider a relationship contract with someone who already has a set routine, set behaviors, that when you enter that relationship contract, you are agreeing to that set of behaviors. That might sound unfair. <laughs> it might sound uh, like it's not a relationship. It's actually just 
two individuals with their own personalities and their own extracurricular activities getting together and walking toward the sun hand in hand. And it is. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Two people that get together that have their own behaviors, own personality, own extracurricular activities or intracurricular activities, things they do for themselves, with themselves, by themselves, and things they do with others. All of who they are joins in a partnership with all the things you are. And then the two of you, if you can walk along the same path, holding hands toward you know, happiness, the sunset, whatever it is, if you can do that with both of you getting to be yourself, getting to be who you are, but being together as two individuals as who you are, then you have a third entity, which is we and us. This third entity of we and us is a combination of the both of you. But we have to be careful not to turn we and us into you need to be the way I want you to be. Let me repeat that. We have to be careful that we don't turn we or us into I want that person to be like me or I want that person to do what I want them to do because then it's no longer a safe relationship. A person will start to feel unsafe around you. They'll start to become less happy. They'll start to become less comfortable. If you decide that you want them to change behavior that was already written in the relationship contract when you got together. A good example is you start a relationship with somebody who has a habit that you don't like, but you think that they'll change that habit if uh, you have um, a good influence on them or you convince them or you think you're good enough to change the behavior so they'll change after you get together. So in the relationship contract, they have this behavior or bad habit and you get together with them and they already have written in the contract that this is what I do. Even if they said, I promise I'll change it. And this is the tricky part because let's just say you're not a smoker and you met a smoker and they like to smoke and you get into a relationship contract and in the contract, I know it's a weird term to call it contract, but just let me use that term. Uh, (laughs) In the contract, it says clearly in bold that this person is a smoker, but this person is not a smoker. So this other person doesn't smoke, but this person is a smoker. So now you have this relationship contract that has this disclaimer saying this person smokes and this person doesn't. However, there's a verbal agreement outside the contract where the person says, I promise I'll stop smoking. But it's still in the contract. This is how you met. This is who they were when you met. And because of that, you are actually agreeing to the contract terms as they are, not as they will be. You're committing to who they are as they are now. Now, you may not figure this out until later. It's true. You may not know about their bad habits. You may not know that they have an angry side or they do weird things and it bothers you. But this is the point where you get to reevaluate because the relationship contract allows you to reevaluate at any point and tell yourself, this isn't what I signed up for.
but you have to know what you want. And this is important for the person who wrote. You have to know what you want. This is why I asked you those questions. What did you lose when that happened? What was taken away from you? What are you in deficit of? What are you not getting enough of when he does that behavior? What do you think will happen if it doesn't stop? Ask yourself those questions. And if you're not getting enough of those things that you're losing, then you need to have a discussion because what you signed up in your part of the contract, you probably have this criteria that the other person isn't meeting. And they may not have known what you needed because they are their own person and they tried to get to know you well enough and then you're your own person and you tried to get to know them well enough and then you met and then you got to know each other but not enough to understand fully what you were getting into but you signed the relationship contract anyway and now you're committed and now you find all this stuff out but we do have that reassessment period we're going to look at it and go okay uh, you know, six months ago, you this was in the relationship contract and I didn't really think it was serious or I didn't really know about it or whatever. But now I know about it and now it bothers me. It bothers me and now I have a choice to talk to the other person about it or uh, maybe I can try to change them or convince them or maybe I can just find the exit clause and get out of this thing. There's There are more choices, of course, but... Maybe it's one of those three choices. I'm going to talk to him about it. That might be the best choice. Hey, look, you know, you said you were going to stop smoking, and here we are six months later, and you still haven't stopped, and I've learned that I don't want to be with a smoker, so are you going to stop? Is this something that you are going to do? And if they say, yes, yes, I'm going to stop, then I always say mark a date on the calendar so that you know that when the time has come that you can't stand something anymore that you take the next step and I'm just throwing this in here this isn't exactly the direction I'm going today but it's always important that when you want something to change and somebody else says yes I will agree to that and now that's an addendum on the contract yes they will agree to it uh, I think it's important to find out when and get a clear idea or date if they say well you know in two months I'll stop Two months, great. Now I can mark on my calendar. Let's see, one, two months from now, X marks the spot. That is the day that I'm going to readdress this if it doesn't stop. And you don't even have to say that to the other person. You could just mark it on your calendar and say, great, in two months I'll check it out. So for those two months, I'm not going to complain at all. I'm not going to say a thing because now we have another verbal agreement and I've chiseled it in stone and it is going to be addressed in two months so I don't even have to worry about it. Then two months comes and this person is still doing the behavior. Now you can say, hey, two months. You said this was two months and this is two months so now is the moment of truth. You're still doing it. I see that you're doing it. Is this your last day? If they say, well, I'm going to try, you know, give me a couple more weeks. Now you're in a position where you can choose to continually extend the deadline, which uh, it's not a good idea because what ends up happening is that a continuously extended deadline never ends. I am a full proponent of once is okay, twice maybe, but three times? No, we're not going to break that deadline three times just my personal opinion. I'm not saying that you need to do this, but 
I wanted to take this little side trip just in case you're waiting for somebody to do something that they said they would do. If they don't do it, what is your deadline? What date on the calendar do they have to meet? And then when they meet that date and they still haven't changed, what are you going to do? Because it's no longer on them at that point. It's on you because you made the deadline and now you have to create accountability. I made the deadline and you didn't change. So your accountability is I'm leaving or whatever your accountability is. I'm leaving for a month. I'm leaving for a week. I'm not leaving. I'm just going to shave my head and start a chicken farm. (laughs) Whatever it is for you. The point is you have to make solid deadlines for anything that somebody says they're going to change about themselves. Now, let me come back to this letter, which I was saying involves understanding what you're losing. And when you know what you're losing, this is when you can share with the other person what you need. And it's important to know what you need and what your criteria is for happiness and a relationship and how you expect a partner to show up and all these things so that you'll know when you get what you need. Because there's a big difference in the following. If you say, I just want to spend more time with the person, there's a big difference between that and saying, I want us to be together at least four nights a week, no matter what, as long as we can spend time together. The reason there's a big difference there is because you cannot qualify the statement, I just want to spend more time with you, because what does more mean? More could mean a second. We don't know. We have to qualify. We have to turn it into something tangible. So that tangibility comes into play again. I want us to be together at least four nights a week. I mean, that's quite specific. And maybe sometimes it'll be five nights and maybe sometimes it'll be three nights. And will you be okay with that? That might be rolling around in your head, or at least it should be. Uh, But you make something that's qualifiable. You make something that can fit a criteria because go back to the questions. Like one of the questions was, what did you lose when that happened? And if he was texting all the time and on the phone all the time, uh, me pretending to be you might think, oh, what am I losing? You know, my girlfriend is always on the phone and always texting and I'm here sitting by myself uh, trying to communicate with her, but she keeps looking at her phone, and I feel like I'm losing the quality time we have together. So in my mind, I'm thinking, we need to have more quality time because that's what I feel like I'm in deficit of. I'm, I'm feeling like we're not spending enough quality time together. And so I'm going to ask myself, well, how much quality time is necessary for me to feel fulfilled? That's how I'll qualify this. I think I'm using qualify correctly here, but if I'm not, forgive me. But I think what I'm trying to say is that what you're doing is making sure you know your own criteria well enough so that when you see it and when you don't see it, you know it. It isn't a matter of I want more of something or I want less of something. It's this is what I need to be fulfilled uh, or happy in this relationship. If it's a relationship, it could be anything. So that's what I mean by qualifying. You, you want to be able to know how much is enough. How much quality time is enough? If he spends 
a half an hour of quality time with you and it's all focused on you and you're together and then he spends an hour and a half texting on the phone and doing the other stuff is that going to be enough for you or do you need more does it need to be an hour and an hour you know like split it up does it need to be two hours and 59 minutes with you and one minute on his phone texting because if that's the case if he's always on the phone and he likes texting and and it's not like he's having another relationship with somebody else, although it may feel like that. But if it is that, then that's a different story. But I'm talking about with his friends and he just enjoys socializing. Like you said, he's an extrovert. If that's the case, then that was in the relationship contract when you got together, even though you may not have thought about that. A lot of us don't think about this stuff. I, I'm guilty of it just like anyone else. But now's the time to reassess on who we want to be with, what we want in the relationship, what it's going to be like going forward, and are we compatible? Now, of course, there are ways that we can work through this stuff, and that's what you're asking. I want to work through this stuff. I want to be more like him, and we're going to talk about that in a second too, but you want to be able to at least tolerate and be resilient, or at most, have his behaviors not bother you at all. But there are things you have to work on in yourself. And I think, you know, one of the things that I want you to do actually is what I've already said, go to the overwhelmedbrain.com and type in the word jealous in the search field, because I have a couple great resources. I think they're great on jealousy that I think are important that you need to listen to. Because once you are able to address this stuff, you know, jealousy to me is always about trust. You either trust the person you're with and you won't get jealous or you don't. And maybe he's the most trustworthy person in the world, but uh, you're 99% trusting. If you're not fully trusting of a person, then you might get jealous. And of course, jealousy is about more, you know, self-worth and self-esteem and fear of abandonment, fear of being alone, all kinds of stuff rolled into that. So definitely go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in the search field, jealous. Also type in the search field, like I said before, worth, because uh, you'll find things on self-worth and esteem, because you'll find things on self-esteem, and that will help you heal some stuff inside, that will help you build some good qualities inside yourself, and get you to a point that you feel better about people that might be doing things that uh, bring up your insecurities, and bring up your fears, and emotionally trigger you, because there has to be a good foundation in you, so that you can bring the best version of yourself into the relationship, and it sounds like you know, he sounds like a really good guy. So what do we need to do in ourselves to bring that best version of ourselves? And that is a lot of self-work. And that's why you wrote. That's why you're asking these questions. And I'm giving you some resources to help you out with that. But let me go back and um, just answer a couple more things here or just address a couple more things. Um, one of the things that you said is that he ignores your texts. Now, if he's really ignoring your text, like he sees your text come in and says to himself, oh, it's her, uh, I'll get back to her later, and never does, you know, they might have a problem there. If my girlfriend started doing that, ignoring my text all the time, of course I'm going to be lenient and think that, okay, she just forgot. But if it happens over and over and over again, I might, you know, start to feel a little bit neglected. So I would say, hey, look, you ignore my text every time. What's going on? Why do you keep ignoring my text? And she'll probably say, I'm not ignoring your texts. I know she would say that. <laughs> she might say, I saw it, but I was working. And then I forgot to text you back or I forgot to call you. So I 
trust my girlfriend enough to say something like that. I don't immediately go into like a fatalist scenario like, oh no, she doesn't love me. Or I'm not saying you're doing that either, but I'm just saying this can happen a lot. Is Our first perception is going to be very helpful in where we go with things. If I think, oh, she ignored my text, she must be dating someone else, that's not a good perspective. That's not healthy for me or for her because I'm going to take it out on her in some way. I'm going to be, like you said, jealous or angry or whatever. But I'm going to ask her, and I'm hoping you do have this conversation with him or you have had this conversation where you ask, "Um, I sent a text earlier. What happened? And what does he say? And do you believe him when he gives you the reply? Because it's vital. I think it's so vital for you to feel comfortable with what he says. If he says, oh, yeah, you know, I was with so-and-so and her and I were having a great conversation and I didn't even see your text. And that makes you feel uncomfortable because every time he says he missed your text, he's talking to another girl, not saying it's a bad thing. A lot of guys have girl friends, but it might make you feel like, his attention is on another girl and not on you. And you kind of say that in your message here as well, which is important to talk about. You know, it would be great if you could reply right away. And at the same time, I'm feeling a little insecure. You know, address what you're feeling to him. I'm feeling insecure because every time you ignore my text, you're with another girl. And that makes me feel insecure. I would highly recommend you share that because if he really is a good guy, he's going to say, oh, no, I, I, I don't mean to ignore when that happens. It's, you know, my phone's on silence or I don't mean to make you feel bad. I don't want to do that at all. So I promise that'll never happen again. Now we have another addendum in the contract. He promises it won't happen again. Great. Let's add that to the contract. We can be a little lenient. Okay. He might miss one or two texts out of every 10. That's okay. But, you know, that it depends on your criteria. But the point is, if you feel uncomfortable or insecure or even angry, just say that. You know, It makes me insecure. It makes me feel like you're giving your attention to someone else and not giving it to me. So that makes me feel kind of weird. You know, I, I don't like that feeling. Let's talk about it. You're not accusing him. You're not blaming him. You're actually just speaking your mind about what's going on inside of you so that you can have a conversation about it because a good partner someone in a healthy relationship is not going to want you to feel hurt or slighted or ignored. They're going to want to make you feel special or at least loved, respected. And when you don't feel that and you express that you're not feeling those things, they'll probably do their best to make up for it. In most cases, I mean, if you're really upset about every time he misses your text or all the time that he spends with his friends and you just want all his time to yourself, then it might become an issue. Then it becomes about control and possessiveness. So we have to watch that. Let me address these last couple things in your message. I have a hard time deciphering whether my concerns are something that are just triggers from my past and something I should deal with on my own or their boundaries being crossed. I'm sure they're triggered from your past because if you're emotionally triggered, those triggers are from your past. The questions I asked earlier will help you understand and realize what those triggers are and what is not being fulfilled in you so that you can address them and work on them and you know look up the subject matter on my website or other sources, of course. 
But yes, they are triggers inside of you and probably many insecurities and fears that need to be addressed and need to be understood, or at least for the most part, processed and thought about so that you can work through this so it doesn't affect your future with him or any other relationship. So that's important. And uh, is it something you should deal with on your own? Well, you have a partner right now and you can say, hey, look, I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling jealous. Let's talk about this. I don't want to feel insecure. I don't want to feel jealous. Do you mind talking this through with me? It's a vulnerable place. I know. But if you have somebody that you can trust in your life, this great guy, this great partner, whatever, you have an opportunity to express things with somebody that you can talk things through with. And maybe he can give you some good feedback or maybe he can make you feel comfortable or even trustworthy because after he says what he says, it might make you feel good. But if he says, look, I'm not interested in other women. I'm interested in you and I love you and I find you attractive. I'm not interested in looking at other women like that or seeing other women. This is all about us and that's all I want. And the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, do I trust that response? Because if you don't, the next question is why? Why don't you trust that response? Has he done anything specifically to cause you not to trust him? Or if you can't trust him, is it because of your past or his? Has he done something that has caused you to feel untrustworthy toward him? And from what it sounds like you're saying, it sounds like that you just have some insecurities and you got to deal with them. But I'm not going to get too deep into that. But I do have um, episodes on triggers as well. Go to my website, type in triggers in the search field, and definitely look at that too. Almost everything you're asking is about you. It is about working on yourself. And when you do, you bring the best version of yourself into the relationship. And hopefully, your partner does too. Uh, the last part of that is whether your boundaries are being crossed. So, the relationship boundaries should be known by you. You know, my relationship boundaries are uh, no cheating, no lying, no stealing. Although that's an odd one, but could happen. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of boundaries, and we all know our own boundaries. But I want you to be clear on them because if they're ever broken, you need to know what boundary was broken so that you can say, oh, they've crossed the line. That's unacceptable. I hope you don't say, oh, they've crossed the line. Um, I guess I'll just be more tolerant. I mean, I shouldn't say that. You can be more tolerant. Maybe they've crossed the line and the line was way too easy to cross. Like you said, um, my line is we need to see each other six nights a week and then you saw each other one week for five nights. Oh, no, they've crossed the line. No, I don't mean that. There are times where you have to be lenient because stuff happens. So you just have to allow that to happen. But you should have criteria. You should have guidelines or what we're calling here boundaries so that you know when the line is crossed and you know when to bring it up. What often happens is a boundary is crossed and it's never brought up. And instead of talking about it and expressing it and being honest and vulnerable about how you feel about it, you instead swallow the thoughts and emotions and hold resentment and maybe anger. You just hold this stuff in and it comes out in other destructive ways later. Maybe, like this person wrote, they just lose it and then feel guilty the next day. I'm willing to bet it's the buildup. If you know things build up in you and you lose it, and then you feel guilty about what you did and said, don't let them build up. 
Easier said than done. I know. And you're asking, well, how do I not let them build up? This is the part of my quote-unquote guidance where I tell you, you be honest at the risk of losing the relationship. If you've been listening a while, you've heard me say this before. I don't know if you agree with it. This is what I do. This is exactly what I do in my own relationship. I will express myself at the risk of losing the relationship. And that means I'm going to say something that might make her mad, that might make her yell at me, that might make her leave for a week, that might make her want to never be with me again. I'm not saying I'm going to say something heinous. I'm just saying my fears kick in and blows it out of proportion and makes me think that what I'm about to say is definitely a relationship-ending material. But it usually isn't. In fact, if your relationship is a good one and you both love each other and want to be with each other, there's very little that you can bring to the table that will cause the other person to just get up and leave. People are doubting me. I know it. (laughs) People are thinking, that's not true. What if I said this? What if I said this? Yes, there are relationship-ending things that you can say, but for the most part, a lot of what we want to say to the other person, if we don't give them a chance to hear us out and allow them to hear what we have to say and process it and talk about it with us, then we're doing the relationship a disservice because every time we talk about our, what I call hard truths, the truths that we have inside of us that we really don't want to share, but they're inside of us and we're thinking about them. Every time we don't share those things, we take a piece away from the relationship and that piece limits uh, in some ways bonding. You can bond with someone fully and wholly and you feel so good with them and everything is on the table and everything feels good and because everything is on the table, because you are so expressive and transparent and vulnerable with them, You know their flaws. They know your flaws. You know their imperfections. They know your imperfections. You know their fears. They know your fears. All of this strengthens bonding. And because it does that, you develop a closer and more intimate relationship than with anybody you know. Because any relationship that experiences the hard truths and survives always becomes stronger. I would say 99% almost always become stronger. If it doesn't survive, then it probably wasn't meant to be because if you can't go through the challenges with this person or it's just too much for them, then they're not going to be able to survive their relationship. There may be limitations in them that they feel like they can't go on with somebody who does something that are outside their values or some boundary, but even if you feel like you know they're not giving you a fair chance, if they're that Uh, fragile or critical about a truth that you're sharing and you being vulnerable, the relationship isn't going to survive many of the other challenges that come along. So this is why it's important that you're expressive with the hard truths, you're honest, and I'm not saying you have to spill your guts about every single thing ever. I'm just saying if it's bothering you, it's important to get it out. It's like I told my girlfriend near the beginning of our relationship. She would hold things in, hold things in, hold things in until I finally said, look, just spit it out. And she said, I don't want to say it because I don't want to be mean. And I told her, just be mean. 
<laughs> let's just talk about this. I don't want to play these games. I don't want you to pussyfoot around the truth. Let's get the truth out there. And she said, okay. And she started doing it. And that's when we became closer and the trust built and the bonding strengthened and the relationship got better and better. Yes, it's hard. And yes, it's risky. But when you risk, you win either way. You either lose them because they're not going to be able to handle these challenges and relationships have challenges or you bring them closer than ever because they want the relationship as much as you do. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for things like that. Let me finish up with this. You talked about extroversion and introversion and you wanting to be an extrovert or you wanted to be more like him. I highly recommend you don't do that. I highly recommend you don't follow a path and try to be someone you're not. Don't change yourself for someone else. When I met my girlfriend, she was definitely an extrovert and I was an introvert and I still am. I'm mostly an introvert uh, and I can be extroverted when I need to be, but I'm mostly an introvert. I enjoy quiet time. I enjoy alone time. And um, she likes talking with her friends and connecting with her friends and going out with her friends. And it's all good. And when I go out with her and her friends are talking and she's talking, I sit there silently until I have something to say. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't have to try to be anyone else but me. And it's not like uh, I feel like a loner or a loser. I know I'm a loner, <laughs> at least somewhat. I'm somewhat of a loner, and that's okay. I'm owning it. But I know I'm not a loser. I'm just a different, like you said, energy. There's a different energy between an extrovert and an introvert. So when you're with an extrovert, they have an outward energy. And when you're with an introvert, they have an inward energy. And uh, sometimes they can work together. And sometimes they meet each other in the middle. And, um, you know, you're also dealing with social anxiety. So that might make you more introverted than you're comfortable with. Or maybe you're more comfortable being introverted like that because of your social anxiety. But that might be something to work on. You know, I have the safe system, quietbegins.com. I work on anxiety over there. But regardless, look up anxiety at theoverwhelmbrain.com. I have great resources on anxiety. I think it's important to work on that. Uh, and definitely cognitive behavioral therapy is good for anxiety if you really want to address that. Sometimes addressing a major thing like that changes everything because anxiety encompasses a lot of feelings and thoughts and worries and concerns. You have all these thoughts and feelings going through you and it makes you anxious and there's the umbrella. You know, If you get rid of the umbrella because you don't need it anymore, sometimes the rest of it goes away or you do it in reverse. You get rid of the jealousy and the possessiveness and the self-worth issues and the self-esteem issues and all the stuff that you're dealing with and the anxiety goes away. But I don't want you to become, I mean, unless you want to, more extroverted or uh, more like him because you need to bring the best version of yourself and own who you are and be okay with who you are, who you are and all your faults and all your imperfections and even all the stuff you don't like. Yep, that's who I am. That's how I feel. And I'm working on it. And it's okay because this is where I am in life. And you said you're 21. You had a long time to work on it. And I know... You want to figure it all out today, but don't be too hard on yourself and tell yourself that this part of life is about learning and figuring yourself out and figuring out how you fit in the world and trying to understand the best thing to do next, trying to understand the next steps to take, trying to understand 
how other people fit in your life. And it all comes at you. It's overly stimulating. And there's a lot in the world to be stimulated by, especially now. There's so much to be stimulated by. And it's difficult to put it all together and try to make sense of it. And so you have all of this going on and you're in a relationship and you have your own personal stuff. And um, there's a lot to work on. So be easy on yourself. Don't try to be anyone but you. And obviously it sounds like he likes you just the way you are. So be comfortable being who you are. And if you can be okay with who he is, this is the last thing I'm going to say. And it might be the most important or at least up there. If you support him being himself, you support his happiness. My definition of love is supporting the other person's path to happiness even when you disagree with that path or even when you oppose that path. That's my definition of love and I think it has worked wonders for me because once I stopped trying to change someone or wanting them to be different and just accepted who they are as they are, I found almost every time they wanted to be closer to me. They wanted to spend more time with me. And what often ends up happening in some relationships is that person A wants person B to be different and do different things to make person A feel better and feel more comfortable and feel more loved. But person B feels oppressed. They feel like they are being controlled. They feel like they're almost a puppet in this relationship and everything they do is being manipulated in some way because whatever they do, they get in trouble for it or they get talked to about it or person B is disappointed in them and then the relationship becomes unstable and person B starts to lie because they don't want to tell person A the truth because if they told them the truth, now they'll get yelled at or they'll be in trouble or whatever it is and I'm generalizing here but the whole point of a relationship is to grow together and be yourself with each other so in a nutshell to the person who wrote can you accept him who he is as he is support it and even encourage it and if you can I think you're going to see improvements in the relationship unless he's not the guy I think he is but if he is the guy I think he is, the more you support him being himself, the closer you'll get. And this is a very tough path for you because of where you are right now. But the more you support someone being themselves, the healthy response that you'll typically get if they're a healthy person is to support you being yourself and the intimacy and the bond strengthens. I covered a lot and I still didn't cover enough. <laughs> There's so much more to unpack in your email, but that's what I have for you today. I hope this has been helpful. Definitely tune into my other resources and you'll find that I address this from every angle and you'll get a lot of the answers you're looking for. I hope this helps. Thank you for listening to another episode. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor today, BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. And I want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. Leela, Monica, Julia, Adriana, Anna, Linda, Deborah. Good to see you again. Vanessa, Veronica, Lucy, Holly, Chelsea, Walter. Good to see you again. Good to see everyone again. I recognize all these names except Casey Ann. Did I say that right? You're new, Casey Ann. You're a new patron to the show, and I am so grateful. Thank you for joining. Thank you for your support. Great to see you here. Allison, Maude, and Carol. Good to see all of you here. Thank you so much for supporting the show and keeping this ship afloat <laughs> because this is what the financial backbone of the show is made up with is the patrons of the overwhelmed brain and um, anyone that finds value in the show can become a patron over at moretob.com. That's like the overwhelmed brain, moretob.com. And uh, there you can donate once or donate monthly like the patrons and um, I'll read your name once every month or so. So thank you, patrons. I am grateful for you. Oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this, but somebody named, oh, I'm going to say this so wrong, My Silly, Me Is Silly. <laughs> Whatever your name is, I am so grateful, and I apologize. I even looked up on Google how to pronounce that, and I couldn't find anything that helped me, so I apologize. And I am grateful for the donation that you made. You wrote, I love your podcast so much. And wow, thank you again. Thank you for your donation. And thank you everyone that is a patron or has donated over at moretob.com. Grateful for all of you. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned Love and Abuse. Loveandabuse.com is where I have the Love and Abuse podcast and the mean workbook for emotionally abusive or difficult relationships. Uh, Love and Abuse is a very important show if you are in a relationship or have a relationship, whether it's romantic, platonic, or family, that is difficult. If you have a difficult relationship and you leave every interaction feeling confused or bad about yourself or guilty because you just feel like you haven't tried enough or they're making you feel responsible for everything that's going wrong in the relationship... Listen to Love and Abuse. Go to loveandabuse.com and check out the podcast. It'd be very helpful for you. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And for my final words, it's relating to what we talked about today, the person who wrote, there was a time in my life where all of my bad behavior, or a lot of it, stemmed from my fear of being alone and my belief that happiness always comes from another person. Those two things. I, I was afraid of being alone because to me, being alone meant that I was unlovable and uh, not worth being with, maybe not attractive, maybe not part of a family at a deeper level. There was a fear of being alone and if I was alone, that meant that I was unhappy because my source of happiness was another person. This will eat away at you because that means that no matter what, you're setting yourself up for failure and disappointment if you rely on someone else for your happiness. 
That doesn't mean you can't find happiness with another person. Meaning, if somebody comes into your life and they make you happier, great. That's going to happen. That will definitely happen because when you find the right person or you're hanging out with your best friend or even someone that you love, the family or whatever, then you become happier because the right person that comes along loves you for who you are and loves being with that person that you are. When that right person comes along, that's what they do. They love being with who you are. It's not about just being with you. It's being with who you are. Who were you before you got into the relationship? Uh, That's who you are. And you can change who you are as time goes on. A lot of people do. But don't change for others. Change for yourself. If you really loved quiet time when you were younger and now you like activities with others, great. Go for it. And maybe you'll shift back and forth throughout life. It just depends. But you're allowed to be who you are and who you want to be. And when you find somebody else that accepts that and even encourages that, then you found someone special. And that's hard to find, I know. There are people out there that don't accept you for who you are. But it has to start with you. You have to know yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to be okay with yourself. So that when someone comes along and says, you know, I really don't like that about you, you can ask yourself, hmm, do I want to change that or not? And if you don't want to change it, then you can say, well, that's too bad. I'm okay with it. (laughs) I'm okay with who I am. I'm okay being me. Can you be okay with it too? And if they say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can be okay with it. Then you can say, fine, you know, whatever you need to do for you, but this is who I am. Can you love me for who I am? This is what I call a surety of self. Uh, S-U-R-E-T-Y, surety of self. You are so confident in who you are because you've worked on yourself, you've improved yourself, you have boundaries, and you don't let people cross the line with you. Not that you're a jerk about it, you just know what you want and know what you don't want, and you know what you'll accept in life and what you won't accept, and you're clear on that stuff. And when you become clear on those things, you find out who honors you being yourself and who doesn't. And those who don't like you being yourself usually want to control you. Not always. Some people are just incompatible and they say, well, I don't really want to uh, be with this person because we're just not compatible. So I'm going to go the other way. But other people might be controlling or manipulative and want you to change. I don't want you to change. I want you to be who you are. And you can change if you want, but do it for you. Don't do it for anyone else. You need to do what you want for you for yourself so that you can look back and tell yourself, I did all of these things for me. I didn't have to change for anyone. And when I did change, it was a choice I made in myself for me. And if somebody else found it appealing, great, there's a bonus. (laughs) If they didn't find it appealing, I'm sorry, can you accept me for who I am? If they say no, then you can invite them to be in your life as long as they don't complain about it. (laughs) or tell them this is the way it is. You'll just have to take it or leave it, whether you accept it or not. This is bold. This is authentic. This is genuine. This is why it's important 
that you start with you start with your foundation be confident in who you are and if you're not confident in who you are it's something you have to work on it's something you have to look at in yourself and ask yourself what am I not confident in myself let's just say uh, you say uh, I don't think I'm smart enough well there's something that can't be qualified how will you know when you're smart enough well uh, I just don't feel smart how will you know when you feel smart? Well, uh, <laughs> these things we tell ourselves that we can't qualify with a number, something measurable. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember things all the time. Okay. Uh, do you think that's a bad quality? I mean, if you were with somebody that couldn't remember things, would you look down on them? Well, of course not. I mean, you know, I have that problem and there's a lot of people with that problem. Do you find it? it's a real problem in your life? Well, yeah, I think it is a real problem in my life. Okay, so you might need to work on that or maybe not. Do you remember enough? There's something that's not qualified, but I like using the word enough in a positive direction instead of a negative direction, meaning, you know what? I remember enough. That makes me feel good. But if I told myself, I can never remember enough, that puts me in a down state. That makes me feel like uh, I'll never meet my own expectations. But if I'm always in the positive, in the way I'm saying, like, I can remember enough. Or how about this? I'm smart enough. I'm smart enough. I'm smart enough to get through life. I'm 51 now, and I'm smart enough to have gotten here. There must be some brain cells in there because here I am. I'm alive. I'm talking, and I'm breathing. So there are some brain cells up there. So I'm smart enough. I think that's a better direction than saying, oh, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not short enough. How about I'm good enough? I'm attractive enough. I'm, you know, whatever enough. It's always in the positive. It's always in that direction so that you can start accepting yourself. It's really what it comes down to. Can I accept myself? Will I accept myself? Don't say no. <laughs> I want you to accept yourself because if you don't, it's going to be hard for other people to do it. You're going to make it difficult for other people to accept you. In fact, you might even convince them not to accept you. This person who wrote, she might say, no, I can't accept myself because that would mean I'm accepting my anxiety. I'm accepting my fear of being alone or my jealousy. That's not something I want to accept. If you don't accept those things about yourself, you're going to push other people away because they won't be able to accept you who can't accept herself. That's a loaded statement. There's a lot to unpack there too, but this is my point. If you can accept yourself, your flaws, your imperfections, everything you love and everything you hate, if you can accept yourself and own it, yeah, that's who I am, then when you're with someone else, there won't be the struggle that you might normally have. Because if they don't like something about you or they try to change you, you can confidently say, well, this is what you get. <laughs> this is who I am. So take it or leave it. Because I accept me. Can you? Where are they going to go? They're either going to accept you or not. And if they don't accept you, 
Either they have their reasons or they have their limitations. Either way, it's good to know. Because you'll probably only want to be with people that are accepting of who you are. Thank you for being who you are. And if you're still working on who you are, all I'm asking is you keep an open mind so that you can step into your power because that's how you create who you are. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <laughs>